Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Thank you, Sean. Good morning, everyone. Um, a lot of exciting things going on, offering next, next weekend, uh, which is uh, the Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, also next weekend, we're hoping to have a, um, a video uh, from Open Arms. Uh, we, a lot of you have seen clips online of some of the construction video clips, uh, but they put together uh, uh, one that you haven't seen. Um, I, I don't know if it'll go online between now and next Sunday because you just never know, do you? You never know what's going to show up online. Uh, live in interesting times, uh, great times of great opportunity, as well as great need. But uh, mm, that offering next week is is a is a biggie. Uh, amazing opportunities to be involved, and I'm just thankful, uh, very grateful this morning for all of those who continue to stand with us as a as a church family, uh, seeing the needs and the opportunities around us. Um, I don't want to elaborate on that this morning because we want to get into uh, Scripture, but I'm wondering this morning, how many of you here would uh, recognize uh, the value of faithfulness as a virtue? Faithfulness. In a cultural day... When traditional virtues are being discarded like yesterday's dirty socks, I wonder how many of you have had the unfortunate experience of the piercing pain of betrayal in your lives, who have experienced what it's like when someone is unfaithful to you. And if you have had that experience, and I suspect that many of you have in one form or another, I am quite certain that that experience would help you to appreciate the immense value and importance of faithfulness. The story this morning is a story of great faithfulness. It's also a story of betrayal. Last week, Josh uh, made reference to the historical context of Jonah. Today's story is a story of Hosea, which is in the same general uh, time period. Uh, Hosea's prophetic ministry followed along after Jonah's. They were more or less contemporaries. Uh, 2 Kings, just take a look at this. You don't need to turn there, but 2 Kings chapter 14 in uh, verse 23, it says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the... uh, 
Jeroboam the second then, right? He did what was evil in, in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, Jeroboam the first, which he made Israel to sin. That's that recurring phrase I mentioned several weeks ago. He restored the borders of Israel from uh, Labo Hamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Geth Hefer. There's a reference to Jonah, and so this is the time period we're talking about. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. Time of uh, destitution, a time of of great want and great need, a time of great of great uh, judgment and great failure of uh, of the people and of, of the leaders of the people. But the Lord, look at this, verse twenty-seven. But the Lord had not said that He would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So God used a wicked king to save His people. That's grace. And that's very much what we're going to be talking about today is that type of grace, an undeserved grace. Um, let's just take a quick look at Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. It says there that the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So there you have the time frame. And uh, the books of the Bible are, are um, not bound in a chronological order. Uh, this confuses sometimes uh, people when they read the Bible and then they try to read it in a chronological order. Um, it's, it's important to know the Bible timeline so that we can fit the books into that timeline so that we can appreciate the historical context of the stories. Um, because understanding the context is essential to understanding the content. Make a note of that, okay? Understanding the context helps us understand the content. And otherwise, we can misinterpret or fail to understand what's going on or, or why it's going on. And so the biblical order goes from, uh, you know, the books of history to the poetical books like Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes to the uh, uh, major prophets uh, and then what we call the major prophets and then what we call the minor prophets and it has nothing to do with how important they are. It's more to do with the, the, um, the uh, size of the book or the amount of writing that they, they did. Um, Elijah and Elisha, we have nothing written by them, but they certainly were major in terms of their ministries and so on. Anyways, so it's important to know that order so you can find your way around the Bible. So when I asked you to look at Hosea this morning, you would be well, do well to appreciate that Hosea is classified as the first of the minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, etc. Um... But in terms of the historical context, Hosea belongs, as we just read, uh, towards the end of the reign of the kings of the north or the northern kingdom, time of great apostasy. Um, 
Apostasy comes from a Greek word that means departure. To leave. And that's appropriate as we'll see today what was going on in Israel and the message of the book of Hosea given to the Lord's uh, the people in a time of great great apostasy. They're bad days, days of great immorality, uh, you know, cannibalism. That's how far the people had, had sunken. It was really bad. Um, after we read that first verse, which we just read a moment ago, uh, what follows is a most striking prophetic revelation, one of the most uh, stirring revelations of the whole Old Testament. And uh, God calls Hosea to surrender his life to become what I think of as a living parable. Now, you know Jesus used parables all the time, right? Um, but Hosea's life became a parable. And um, his, his ministry, as near as we can tell, spanned as much as six decades. But it really began with these words in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredoms by forsaking the Lord. Now let me just tell you a little bit about what happens after this, okay? Hosea, a young man, goes and finds a woman named Gomer. Not a wonderful name, I know, for a woman. I know, I don't think we picture wonderful, beautiful things when we hear the name Gomer. I think of Gomer Pyle, but <laughs> it wasn't all that beautiful. But anyways, um, but, but we, we, I mean, we really don't know. We can just assume that she was a, a young, a beautiful young girl, and, uh, and Hosea goes and he... he uh, marries her. And um, he loves her. And together they begin a family. And they have uh, three, three children together. The um, life of Hosea and his wife and his children become a parable to Israel of God's relationship with his people. So Hosea's relationship with Gomer becomes an illustration of God's relationship with Israel or with us. And um, God does this so that we'll understand. He wants his people to understand 
So he uses an illustration because he wants a relationship. How many of you sitting here this morning appreciate the fact that communication is the lifeblood of relationship? Some of you might be sitting here today thinking, yeah, but I suck at communication. And my, my word of counsel to you would be, do it anyway. Get good at it. How do you get good at communicating? By, by doing it. You say, it's hard. Yes, it is hard. It's not complicated. It's not technical, but it is hard. We find it hard sometimes to tell people what's really going on inside of our hearts. I don't know anyone that finds that exceptionally easy, but it's critically important. And God wants us to understand what's going on in his heart. God wants us to understand his heart. God wants us to know his heart. God wants a relationship with his people. And God communicates, and he communicates through his word. And in the book of Hosea, God gives us a, a vivid, moving illustration of what it's like for him to be your God. My God. And, uh, yeah. You might not have been here last week, um, but those of you who were here last week, you, I don't know if you caught this or not, but when, uh, and this is a little bit of a digression, but I want to share with you because I, I think it's important to understand, again, the whole context of Scripture and the storyline as it develops. But when jo uh, Josh was taking us through the book of Jonah, how many of you noticed in Jonah chapter 2, because we read the whole, all four chapters, right? How many of you noticed in Jonah chapter 2 when, uh, when Jonah is in the belly of the fish and he's praying to God and he's calling out to God? Uh, twice he says there, it tw two times it, there's reference made to praying towards your holy temple. Did you, did you notice that in there? Now, when we, several weeks ago, we were in what, what's referred to as the golden age of Israel. That's when Solomon, uh, you know, David uh, subdued all their, their enemies, and then Solomon followed along uh, as the promised son and, uh, and built the great temple of the Lord. I hope that you read the dedication prayer that Solomon prayed when he dedicated the temple. I hope that you did. If you didn't, I hope you'll go back and read it. It's really quite something. It's all about forgiveness. The whole dedication prayer that Solomon prayed anticipates a time in Israel's history when there would be a great falling away, a day of apostasy, a day of sin, and a day of departure when people's hearts would depart from the living God. And Solomon's prayer of dedication is all about uh, his desire that God in those days would hear the prayers of the people for forgiveness. And when the people prayed 
And they specifically, it says, they talks about praying towards this place, praying towards this place, that God would hear their prayers and forgive their sins. Um, you know, we struggle with the concept of forgiveness. That's a baby. That baby's a lot louder today, Olivia, than, than he was last uh, Friday night. Well, I couldn't even hear him. She said he's, he's, what did she say? He's whining? He's whining. I said, that is not whining. <laughs> that, that's getting closer there. But <laughs> You know, the whole idea of children and marriage and all is, is very much front and center in the story today. And, and I think when God wants us to understand his heart, um, you know, he's given us some inc- incredible opportunities to really appreciate um, his heart for us. And uh, I'm praying that today we'll really be able to develop more of a, an appreciation for the heart of God this morning for, for, for us, for you and I. Um, forgiveness. We have a hard time sometimes. We struggle with the concept of forgiveness because we, uh, on different levels, we struggle with the concept of grace. We struggle to appropriate grace for ourselves from God. We struggle to um, extend grace or to appreciate when God extends grace to others and forgiveness, Um, especially his enemies or our enemies. Jonah is a case in point, right? That's Jonah, to say that Jonah struggled would be a gross understatement. With God's grace to his enemies. But it reminded me as I was thinking on the teachings of the book of Jonah and studying the book of Hosea, it reminded me of the words of Jesus who had the most radical teaching that this world has ever seen when he said, love your enemies. Do good to those who despise you. Pray for those who abuse you. Why? Here's the kicker. Why? Because that's what God does. That's what your Father in Heaven does. When you do that, you will be like Him. But we struggle with this whole issue of forgiveness and grace. And I I wonder... Sometimes if part of our struggle doesn't relate to our lack of appreciation for what it means to be faithful and how important it is to be faithful because we confuse grace and forgiveness with minimizing sin. And when we do, the gospel becomes nice instead of something that cuts us right to the heart of our being. We need to appreciate. So it's, oh, if I pray this prayer and ask the Lord to forgive me, he will forgive me. That's nice. But if we really understand the virtue of faithfulness. 
and love. Real love. Strong, God-like, biblical love. Then we can begin to better grasp what forgiveness really is and how big a thing it is for God to forgive us and to forgive our enemies. You know, we've been saying that judgment is not the heart of God, that we've been talking about about how God judges, but that's not his heart. He judges because he is just and holy and righteous, but his desire is to bless us. His desire is to 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 bring us to himself. His desire is to um, is to have us in relationship with him as his own. Judgment is not the heart of God, but you know what? We have to we have to admit it's often our hearts. Again, Jonah is a tremendous case in, in, in point. Um, how well do we understand forgiveness if we don't appreciate what it means to be faithful? That can we begin to understand the tremendous cost of unfaithfulness? Um, Jesus summed up the law Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. God wants us to understand, to know what it's like, to appreciate, and to appreciate it for what it is. Is God a jealous God? Yes, he is. Does God get angry? Yes, he does. Is he bitter? He sure sounds bitter in the book of Hosea. Let me ask you a question. Could we honestly think that God loves us if he's not hurt by our sin? If he isn't all those things, would he love us? If I bumped into you tomorrow and I say, how you doing? And you said, I'm not too bad. My wife left me yesterday. And I go, whoa, that's horrible. Oh, no, it's not really that big a deal. She just ran off with the milkman. But it's okay. You know, yeah, it's not convenient. I, you know, I'm not much of a cook, but but she's she's a pretty good girl, you know. I'm not trying to be trite or flippant. I'm really not. God wants us to understand His heart. He wants to understand, he wants us to know how he feels. Kind of important for relationships, wouldn't you say? Do you know how your, your wife feels, how your husband feels about different things in your life or in your lives together? Do you talk? Do you communicate? Do you express those things? Do you ever have it out? Or is everything just suppressed? Under the surface, just lurking and hiding there, maybe building up until one day just it's like a volcano exploding. Or do you communicate? 
God communicates. God expresses himself. Take a look at this. Um, Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 to 20. Remember the context, the historical context, the days of Hosea. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. This is God talking about Israel. Okay? And I will speak tenderly to her, and there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. I just realized I just, uh, yeah, sorry. It's okay. I did skip over some stuff. That's okay. A door of hope. And there she will answer as in the days of her youth and that at the time she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. Uh, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will ab abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. In, st in steadfast love and mercy, I will betroth you in my faithfulness. Betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. I don't know if you, again, if you weren't here back in the spring, we were in the book of Numbers in Israel's wanderings in the wilderness, and Israel was at uh, uh, a place that became known as Baal Peor, and uh, Balaam had uh, helped Balak and the Midianites and the Moabites to seduce the nation of Israel into um, Baal worship, and um, and and the language that God uses there is the language of marriage. And if you reflect back, or if you if you don't if you don't remember that, or you weren't here for that, it's okay. But the point is, is that he God says you yoked yourself to Baal. The, the language of yoking used in, in the Old Testament and in the New, as far as that goes, is the language of marriage. It's the idea is, is that God has a, the relationship. God has entered into a covenant with his people. And, it, and it's, it's, it's um, informative that God uses marriage language to talk about his relationship with uh, Israel. He wants... Israel to know him, and he wants um, them to have an intimate relationship with him based on faithfulness and love. Um, I started to tell you about Hosea's family in chapter 1, and I got sidetracked, but he, uh, they had a, a little boy, and God said, name him Jezreel, uh, because I will account for the blood that was shed by Jehu in the valley of Jezreel. And then they had a little girl, and God said to Hosea, I want you to name this little girl no mercy, because I will have no mercy on Israel. And then they had another little boy, and God said, I want you to name him not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. 
That's a more appropriate response, isn't it? It's a more appropriate response. If I were to bump into you tomorrow and say, how's it going? And you, would say, and you said to me, I'm devastated. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. My heart is just turned all upside down. Because I love that, that, that woman and I can't believe what she's done. I want to take you to chapter 3 and I want to read the first few verses there. Actually the first, first uh, verse in a moment. But let me tell you just a little bit more of the story. After... Hosea and Gomer had their three children. She left. She just walked away. And she went and she started having relationships with other men. This is the part of the story that Jason was saying, you know, this is going to be a little bit awkward talking to the kids about. Because these are the kinds of things we don't even like our kids to even think about or know about because these are some of the hardest and harshest realities of life. And you might, you might uh, think, you know, as you're reading this, like, does, did, did this actually happen? Well, it did actually happen, but more than that, it happens every day. <laughs> it happens every day. People walk away from their commitments. They walk away from the people who love them and they give their love to others. It happens every single day and, and Hollywood glorifies it. And it hurts. Infidelity hurts. And it doesn't have to just be marriage. What about friendship? Have you ever had a, someone that you really trusted as a friend or counted on as a friend? Betray that trust. Or, or, or perhaps, you know, other family members, maybe a sister or, or a brother. I know, I know families. I heard of one recently where a dad died and one of the daughters, he, he refused to speak to her to the day he died. He died without speaking to his own daughter. Those are hard, hard things. Then in chapter 3 of Hosea, the Lord says to Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. 
and is an adulteress. You getting the picture? God says, Jose, I want you to go. I want you to find her. Now, there's two key words here in this sentence. They're the next two words. Do you see them? Even as. Your, your translation might have these words, just like. God wants Israel to know. how he feels and how he loves. Now, there was a lot of things that Hosea could have done. He could have, he could have um, written her off. He could have written a bill of divorcement. He could have had her stoned to death. In those days, that was the, the punishment uh, for, uh, for adultery. Um, but he didn't do any of those things. He did what God told him to do. And he went, and he found her, and he paid off her debts to her lovers. As you read on, you'll see there that she had gone so far down this road that she had enslaved herself. Because that's, you know, that's what sin does. It enslaves us, right? And he paid to buy her back to him. And we're not given a lot of details here. And a lot of times when the Bible doesn't give us details, it's because God wants us just to think about what it would be like. Remember, remember that the whole idea here is that God is using Hosea's life as an illustration uh, of his relationship with you and I, and he wants us to know what that's like, and he wants us to think about what that's like. What would it be like? Put yourself in Hosea's sandals. You've got to go find this woman that you love who has left and is, in common vernacular, sleeping around. And you've got to bail her out big time. You've got to reach really deep. And you've got to pay the cost to buy her back from her and, and bring her home. Just like or even as the love of the Lord for Israel. That's chapter 3, verse 1. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Chapter 3, verse 2, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lechic of barley. 
And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear of the Lord and to his, uh, to his goodness in the latter days. God uses the prophet's experience to communicate with his people. And God reveals through the prophet Isaiah of a coming day a day of great restoration for the people. Uh, and notice there, if you would, the phrase, David, their king. Did you see that? Remember the context. This is the northern kingdom. They've broken away from the southern kingdom. And, uh, and David's been dead for a couple hundred years. So who is the prophet speaking of? It would have to be the son of David, right? Who is the son of David? Jesus. The prophet looks forward to a time of great returning and a time when people will, the people will be reconciled to the right and glorious king. The rest of the book of Hosea is, uh, is all poetry. Um, it's love poetry, but it's not um, sentimental. There's a lot of real and raw stuff in there if you read it. It's, um, it reads more like a jilted lover than it does what we usually ascribe to uh, what we, uh, how we understand God. Um, for uh, just a few examples, as I just want to read through just a few passages throughout the rest, uh, touch on just a couple of things uh, through the rest of the book. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Everything's affected by, by the, this, this infidelity, this, this breaking of covenant, this, this rebellion, this, this, this departure away from, from God. Everything is affected by it. It's all, all of it. All of those things on that list are all... Um, the opposite of what it means to love God and love people. That's what, that's what sin is. And chapter 4, verse 6, it says, You have forgotten the law of your God. Chapter 5, verse 15 says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress earnestly seek me. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he may bind us up. Even, even the acts of judgment by God are intended as acts of love that, that we might be brought back, that we might understand and the, the pain that we experience as a consequence of our waywardness will, in fact, be beneficial to us so that it will drive us back into the arms of, of, of the God who loves us and knows what's best for us.
Hosea 6.2, after two days he will revive us, on the third day he will raise us up, that we may live before him. What's that remind you of when you look at those words there? Pardon? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's right. Yeah. Do we realize that Jesus took God's judgment for us? He took and he paid the price for us. He, God doesn't just simply forgive us. He pays the price for us. He endures the pain and the suffering and the agony that is the result of our sin so that we can be forgiven and set free and restored back into relationship with him. Hosea 6, 4 and 6. Uh, Isaiah 6, 4. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? And he uses the name Ephraim over and over again throughout this book. If you're reading it through, I hope you'll read it through, you'll see there Ephraim, or Ephraim, uh, was uh, the uh, son of Joseph, one of two, Joseph's two sons that he had in Egypt, um, who became one of the, 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 the main tribe, a northern tribe. So we're talking brothers, we're talking family, we're talking relationships. Oh, and God says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah, southern kingdom? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Verse 6 says, for I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That's a relationship, right? Relationship. And there's a lot of tremendous poetic phrases throughout there. It talks about how they sowed to the, the wind and reaped a whirlwind. And as you read through the book of Hosea, you'll, you'll be, uh, I, I'm sure uh, you'll be impressed by some of the um, uh, descriptors that you find there of um, life, a life lived pressing against uh, the boundaries and pushing through the boundaries of God's love and, and faithfulness. Uh, chapter 11, verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adna? How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart recoils within me. Isn't that incredible? This is God talking. My heart recoils within me. How can I give you up? How can I give you over? You see the turmoil? God wants us to know his heart. He wants us to know what he feels, what he experiences in this relationship. And he loves us. And, and yet, at the same time, we walk away. What, what does he do? What's, what's, what's God to do? He says, my compassion grows warm and tender. It almost seems irreverent to talk about God in some of the terms that Hosea uses. To think that this 
sovereign, almighty creator of the universe who is infinite, almighty, all-knowing, perfect in all his ways, sovereign, is moved Hosea could have done a lot of things. But he, if he did anything other than what he did, he wouldn't be representing the God that we read about in Scripture. The word Hosea means salvation. You come into the New Testament and you read in the New Testament um, how there is none that seeketh God, there is none righteous, no, not one. All we like have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Hosea said, God told Hosea, go and get her and love her. Because that's what I do for Israel. You know that when you come into the New Testament, some of you know this, when you come in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle describes his uh, the church of Jesus Christ as the bride of Christ. If you're looking for a New Testament parallel to the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, that would probably be it. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, right? And you can read about it there. But I want to take you to another, um, in closing, take you to another passage in the New Testament, another verse. It's in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And here again is the Apostle Paul, and he says these words. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Verse 11 says, if, he, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Verse 12 says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And then verse 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God wants us to understand. He wants us to know. He wants us to know him. And he goes to great lengths, doesn't he, to communicate that to us. In terms that we understand, later on in the book of Hosea, the, the, the imagery changes and he starts talking about, about how he led Israel out of Egypt as a father leads a child holding his hands. And the imagery becomes that of a parent and a child. Of course, that doesn't really make it any less... Uh, impactful because many of you sitting here today you either have children or as a as a someone with a, a mom and or a dad or both you know how crazy parents get when they have kids right you know that it just becomes how irrational you become and you do crazy stuff, right? 
because you understand the heart of a parent. Or the heart of, of a, a husband or a, or a wife. Do you understand God's heart for you? Do you understand that when you walked away from him, he came. He came after you. He did not have to do that. There was nothing in his justice or his omnipotence, or his majesty, or his glory that would require him to do that. Nothing. He was not bound to do that. He was under no obligation to do that. He did it because of love for you and me. He came for us. And the message of the gospel is the message that God gave to Israel and the message that Hosea gave to Gomer. Come home. Come home and I will love you. Um, let's, let's stand together if you, if you would, please. God goes to amazing lengths to communicate with us in ways that we can understand. Do you understand? Do you understand how God feels about you? And have you responded to the message of the gospel is a call to come home. And God has made a way that we can come home. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He paid the price so that you and I could come home. Are you home? Or are you still wandering around in the wilderness thinking that you'll be happier or better off going a different route? Or are you home? I encourage you, I invite you this morning as we close our service time in prayer, I invite you to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Father calls you to come home. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for the message of the gospel. I thank you for the message of Hosea, and I thank you, Lord, for each one here today. And I pray, especially right now, for anyone who may be in this room or watching this video, whatever it is, Lord, who has not come home to you. You've made a way, Lord. You've, you've paid it all. You've paid the full price. There's nothing left outstanding. And you didn't do it for any other reason than, than the immense love that you have for us. Help us, Lord, that we might understand that.
so that we can respond in an appropriate way and run into your arms. I pray for people this morning who, who are estranged from you, who are cut off from you because of the waywardness of our, of, our, of our hearts, that you would just call men and women and children to yourself today, that you would restore and reconcile. Lord, I pray that even right now that, that, that people would be calling out to you in their hearts and coming home on the way that you've made through personal faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of sin, and faith in your forgiveness. And Lord, I, I pray these things for, for your glory, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to talk with about any of these things this morning, I'd love to talk with you. So would others. Somebody invited you here this morning. Uh, talk with them about it. Thank you, and God bless your day.